Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Peace of our Lord be with you today. Uh, So clearly we are now in the season of the year in which we are thinking about the ministries of the next year. And so our Be Generous campaign begins this week and continues next week. So we're encouraging you to make sure that you make your um, decision, your commitments known right? by, by pledging. You can grab a, a card in the back of the pew or you can go online and do it online. Uh, this really helps us to organize and plan our ministry vision for the following year. So I encourage you to do that. For now, I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. This is where our scripture will be today, where we will immerse ourselves in the study of God's word. And as you're finding your way to Luke chapter 10 here in your Bibles or on your devices, I want to welcome those who are the rest of our church family worshiping in the Family Life Center right now, just down the hall. I welcome you into this time of study and renewal and encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And we will begin with Luke 10, verse 38. So listen to these words from Luke 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, he, that's Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he had to say, listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? And Tell her then to, to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted By many things, there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The the reading of the sacred word, it's reliable and it can be trusted. Let's bow together in prayer. God, even we ourselves find ourselves in solidarity with Martha because we too can be worried and distracted by many things. Even now as we attempt to open your word and allow it and its truths to provoke us and transform us and strengthen us, even now we, we can be worried and distracted by many things. So our simple prayer right now as we worship is that your holy and loving spirit would somehow 
relieve from the hearts of your worshipers any worry or distraction that would keep us from seeing you and hearing you and beginning to recognize you in the midst of our worry and distraction. Help us to see. We pray that you would transform us now so that leaving this place today, we make a better world. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Beloved friends, sisters, brothers, countrymen, I cannot think of another topic that may be more pertinent for us to discuss today than the topic that we have before us. In fact, for a very long time, I decided to put this topic at the end of this series because it represents kind of a culmination of important things, things that need to be talked about, things that need to be considered in our spiritual journey. Hang on just a minute. Um, yes uh, to the first and uh, no to the second. Yes. yes and no in that order. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Sorry about that. What I was saying was that I cannot imagine a better and more fitting topic for us to discuss today than the one I want to talk about today. It's one that is universally applicable. Hang on a minute. Okay, got it. It's Annie down, downstairs, our children's pastor. Hang on just a minute. She's like, the kids are great. Trunk or treat's ready. Got it, okay. Um, see. okay. Great, you're doing great. Proud of you. You're off to a great start. Keep up the good work. It's important to encourage as, 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 okay. As I was saying, I cannot think of a more important thing for us to talk about. I mean, this has been ruminating in my mind for a while. It's been kind of, just a minute, okay. I, I, it won't be long. It's, it's kept, sorry. It's our youth pastor, sorry. Hello. Hey, Kep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good. Everything's going well in the Family Life Center. Worship is off to a good start. Good to hear that. Thank you for letting me know right now. That's <laughs> Yeah. No, you cannot repel from the ceiling today. No. Can we talk about I've got a thing to do. I'll call you I'll call you back. All right. Bye. Okay. Sorry. It's uh Okay. Got it. Okay. What was I saying? What we're doing today is very important. Beloved, you and I live in a distracted world. Yes. You and I live in a distracted world. In fact, I would even say, even if it were only the incessant 
dings and pings of our phone, the buzzing in, in, our, in our pocket, even if it were only the never-ending tickers that go across the bottoms, up the sides, and across the top of our news media 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if it were only those things to talk about, we would have reason to talk about our uber-distracted life. But it's worse than that. Because, beloved, there are spiritual implications to how we are completely living now in a kind of attention deficit culture where we cannot escape being distracted by one interruption after the next. And I say that it has spiritual overtones because you and I have been saying for five weeks that the church is supposed to be a place where you can belong, right? I mean, we've been saying for five weeks now, we've been saying, look, for a very long time, we've been living under a kind of a, a messed up paradigm. We've said for about 500 years, we have said things like, you know what, if you believe the right things and then learn to behave in the right way, then you can belong to us. We've, we've kind of lived in a believe, behave, belong paradigm. But what we've been trying to unearth over these last several weeks is that perhaps we've gotten it wrong for a very long time. That maybe the original design, what Jesus had in mind in this movement that became the church is not believe, behave, belong, but rather you belong first. Not because of anything you've done, not because of what you've achieved or how well you have cleaned up your life, but you belong simply because of the unmatched grace of Jesus Christ. And out of that sense of belonging, that safe place of belonging, then we learn to behave. We learn things like how to confess when we are wrong, how to recognize our own brokenness. We learn how to yield our lives more and more daily before. The, out, of, out of our belonging, we learn to behave. And out of our belonging and behaving, we come to some seriously held belief. Belief in the one who has welcomed us and transformed us. We believe. So we've been saying for a long time now, for about a month, that we live in a belong, behave, belief paradigm that's the hope for the church we've been saying that in church we think of ourselves this way we think of the church as a gathering of imperfect people with unfinished stories right we've been saying that now we've said not only are we a gathering of imperfect people and unfinished stories but we are a beloved community of of radical inclusion that means you can belong here even if you hadn't figured anything out yet But if any of that's true, as good as that sounds, if any of it's true, then it's all called into question if we are people who don't know how to be present with one another. In this uber-distracted, overly interrupted world, you and I are losing the capacity to simply be present and if we don't know how to be fully present with one another, we can't be the beloved community that God had hoped we might be. So that's why today I want to talk for just a few minutes more 
about a, a message that I'm entitling, the last message of the B series that I'm, I'm entitling, Be Present, Be Here, Be Now. Be present, be here, be now. The fact is, you and I have been distracted by so many things so long that we have somehow become immune to recognizing how often the distractions come. If we wanted to, we could talk about a thousand different things that are primarily the source of our distraction. But I can't think of a better story to launch this conversation than the one we have right before us. So in summary, remember Jesus goes into a village and Mary and Martha are sisters. And they have the privilege of hosting Jesus and now his growing followers. They're going to feed. They're going to sit and listen. They're going to break bread with one another. They're going to listen to the teachings of this rabbi. And it's up to them to prepare the home But just like every sibling rivalry, there is one who does more and one who does less. And Martha, who's been doing everything to get the house ready, is angry at Mary, who is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just just drinking it in, soaking it in, listening to the teachings. And she complains. And you know, we've studied this passage a hundred times. But at the heart of it this week, I'm drawn to a particular phrase. Because when Martha said, Jesus, do something. Don't just sit there. Do something about my sister who is doing nothing. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. If we wanted to, we could talk about a thousand distractions 10,000 worries. If we wanted to, we could list a mile long all of the worries and distractions that have simply driven up onto the campus here just today. But But I bet that there are a few that we have in common. What is it that worries and distracts you? What is it that routinely is such a common worry for you, such a common distraction for you, that you find yourselves from time to time unable to simply be present, be here, be now? I think we have some in common, and and I just want to speak about two of them. I want to to talk about two worries and distractions, and, and here they are. The technology tug and time travel. The technology tug and time travel. What do I mean by technology tug? Well, just this a moment ago, right? The fact is, you know me by now. We've been together almost five years, and you know I love technology. I'm a fan of technology. I would say technology is our friend, but it's kind of like that friend that has a cold and doesn't tell you about it and then takes a sip out of your drink when you're not looking. Because the very thing that draws you to them can, if you're not careful, make you sick. Make you, make you sick. And the very thing that is a strength can be the very thing that overpowers us and makes us its slave. 
you know, online, you can easily find a quiz to ask yourself if you are addicted to technology. You can, you can find these quizzes, and I hope you go looking for them, especially the ones that, that determine if you have been addicted to your phone. They ask questions like, do people think that your phone is an appendage attached to your hand? It asks questions like, have you ever lost your phone and looked for it for a long time and then realized that it was in your hand? And listen, I'm not kidding you. I wrote that in my notes, and then guess what? Yesterday, Rick Jenkins posted a picture of Jill Jenkins who had just done that. She had been looked, our former children's pastor had been looking, so Jill, wherever you are, there is help. <laughs> and you're not alone. But it asks questions to determine how much has the technology tug prevented you from truly being present? It asks questions like, uh, when you go to dinner, is your phone a part of the place setting? <laughs> it asks questions like, do you take a, a power cord with you in your briefcase or your purse because you know that by the end of the day, the usage of your apps will be so great that you will have no battery left? Or, or do you have one of those phones that has an extra battery in it? You know, because It asks you questions like, do you ever find yourself searching your phone or checking your phone for no reason whatsoever throughout the day. In other words, you've not gotten a text, you've not gotten a notification, you're just checking as if to say, so wonder what everybody's doing. Which translated means, somebody come play with me. It also asks questions like, when you, when you drop your phone, do you drop it like you're dropping a newborn baby? Are you addicted to your phone? There are other questions that get asked, and I hope you go look for them. For example, in the morning, if you charge your phone, like many of us do beside our bed because it's our alarm clock or something, the question is, how long between the time that you wake up until the time you check your phone? I mean, do you make it to breakfast? Do you make it to the bathroom? Do you make it out of bed? Some of these questions help us determine. I learned this week that teenage girls between 14 and 17 will send and receive 4,000 text messages a month. And boys are not that much better. They receive 3,000 per month, and it's probably because we're just kind of slower. That is one text every six minutes of the waking hours. See, I remember Jesus talking to the Pharisees at one point about the Sabbath. Remember, and he's talking to the Sabbath, and there's some things you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath because the Sabbath was made to give you rest and to renew your mind, and so you couldn't do things. Like, there was a day when you couldn't, you know, you couldn't uh, cook a certain amount of food on the Sabbath, you couldn't walk a certain distance, you couldn't work on the Sabbath, you couldn't play ball on the Sabbath long time ago. And Jesus was doing some good things on the Sabbath and being criticized. And he said to his critics, look, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. I think we've entered into a new realm in which we can say the same thing. Technology was made for and by humankind, not humankind for technology. There is a 
possibility of the thing that is such a blessing rising up and being our slave master. And it has a shaping effect on our capacity to be present. There was a monumental study done by two universities, Carnegie Mellon University and the University of California, Irvine. And they studied a particular group of individuals, about 150 individuals, and they put them in subgroups. And they wanted to see what distractions did to their workflow. They determined that the average office worker can go for an uninterrupted amount of time, 11 minutes, without receiving a text, a notification, some kind of an update, a, a ding, a bing, a chicken wing, something in, that goes off and captures their attention, 11 minutes. But do you know how long it takes for them to get back on task and be fully absorbed, focused upon the task at hand? 25 minutes. But the bad news is within that span of 25 minutes of reallocating their attention, there's another 11-minute mark that shows up, which means that we are creating a rhythm and a cycle that is spiraling in which we are becoming less and less capable of truly being on task, being present. Even those stats that I mentioned a moment ago about sending and receiving texts, the, the truth is most of us who do uh, a great deal of online connections, the average person has, the average teenager has six to nine group conversations at one time. And I know that some who are listening down the hall right now says six to nine, that's nothing, you know. But the truth is in the midst of all that, you know what the common excuse is given? The common excuse is well, but I'm good at what? Multitasking. Oh, I'm good at multitasking, so I can do my homework while I'm checking my text. Or I can have a conversation with you while I'm checking this notification, but can I just set you free by something? I just want to bring some gospel into the room by letting you hear these words of good news. Multitasking is a big, fat myth. No, I, no, I mean, that's not an opinion. That's a, a neurological fact. Your brain was not wired to do two things at one time. It is physically, neurologically impossible. So what we do when we think we're multitasking is not actually multitasking. It's doing one thing at a time, but rapidly toggling or switching between those two things or four things or 17 things so that it's called rapid toggling. Your brain may toggle from one thing to the next, so you may think that you're watching an episode of whatever you watch while you're on Facebook or Twitter or posting an Instagram pic, but you're not doing them at the same time. What you're doing is you're doing one thing and stopping and switching to the next and switching back. But you may be doing it so fast that you find yourself thinking, I'm pretty good at multitasking. And I've got my iPad up and my MacBook Pro up and my phone up and, I, and the TV up. I'm surrounded by screens. But this is what's happening in the synapses of my brain. And we look at this and I just want you to see this as the, maybe the parable, the living, moving, breathing metaphor of what our society looks like. Squirrel. Squirrel. And here's, here's the trouble. Here's the trouble. We're getting worse at it. We're getting worse at it. The longer we, we try to multitask, 
It's the one human activity that the more you do it, the worse you actually get at it because we are told by neurologists that the more we try to switch, our brains actually become diminished in their capacity to focus on the original thing that you're supposed to have been focusing on all along. So in other words, this is making us dumber. But it's worse than that. For a community that decides, hey, we are the beloved community of Christ. For for a church who wants to be that beloved community in which all are gathered, the truth is it threatens the integrity of our capacity to see one another and to welcome one another. Because if you can't be present, if the toggling doesn't stop, and we're not able to see one another and hold the sacred space of our unfinished lives before one another then it challenges who it is that we as a church are meant to be. Now, before I make any suggestions about what we're supposed to do about it, can I just describe the water that we're drowning in a little bit more? It may be that you have a hard time being present because of a technology tug, yes, but for most of us it may be something else. It may be time travel. What do I mean by time travel. I mean that you and I not only have a hard time being present with one another, we have a hard time being present with the present. As in time. So most of the time, we are rarely really ever here and now. We're thinking about something that happened either several years ago or 20 minutes ago, or we're thinking about something that's coming way down the road or tomorrow morning. Sometimes I'll be at home and I'll be zoning off, just kind of staring off into the distance, looking at a blank wall, and Laura is trying to talk to me, and Laura says it two or three times until eventually I snap out of it, and I say, oh, what was that? What were you saying? And she will say something like, where are you? It's a fair question. Maybe the better question is to ask, when are you? Because usually when I zone out, if I'm overly stressed or thinking about things, it's usually because, and you too, it's usually because I'm thinking about something that either has happened and I'm replaying it or something that is about to happen or coming down the road or I wish would happen. And it takes me like a, like a, like I get in a, the, the DeLorean of my soul and I pull down the hatch And I end up going either somewhere way back then or somewhere uh, way ahead and then run out of gas and can't get back. Some of us struggle because we get stuck in our past or stuck in a version of our future that keeps us from being present in in our right now. If you are among those who get sometimes stuck in the past, it may be for what seems to be good reasons or bad reasons. It may be that you get stuck in your past because you're maybe, maybe you've idealized your past. Or maybe you regret your past. It may be that you idealize your past because have you ever known somebody who, who thinks about a particular season that used to be? It was a long time ago. It was a particular season in their lives. Sometimes we idealize the time when the babies were babies or when we were single. Or have you ever been with someone who lives in the past and every time you get to them, they somehow have a way of bringing up the big play in the big game back when they were in high school 
And you want to say, you know, there's been other big days and other big plays. And yet, because that was the high water mark, because that was the moment, that was the big deal, they kind of get stuck there. And here's the problem with being present. If you idealize some season in the past, it prevents you from seeing the holy possibility of the right now. Because when we idealize our past, you know what we do? We redact it. We, we edit it. We, we trim the fat around it. We, we cut out all the negative and we see only this one moment that seemed to be so very worth living. And then it's hard to compare anything at all right now to that moment. And we're held captive by it. We can't be here and now. Or it may be, not that you idealize your past, but you so regret your past because of the thing that happened. And you remember the date and the time, and it was a big fail, and you fell apart, and and the problem was because of a decision or a sin or a big mistake, something happened then that has now put into captivity all the relationships you have right now in the present. And you can't live free now because of the thing that happened then that somehow arrested your development and, you, and you're locked in and, and, and you know what the Bible says about it. In your head, you know you can be set free. I mean, you know what Isaiah said about it. Isaiah offered these words. Listen to these words. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it, it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. See, you and I know that we can be set free, but something keeps us arrested in the past. We time travel. The DeLorean is out of gas, and we can't get back. Or it may be that the past is not your problem. It may be that you have a hard time truly being present with any human being, not because of the past, but because of some version of what you think the future is going to be. And and, and in the same way that we can either idealize or regret the past, when we think of our future, we can also somehow idealize or dream about it and also dread it. Because sometimes we say to ourselves, you know what, it won't be long (laughs) because once the kids are, are in college, once then, then the marriage will get better, right? Or once the debt is paid off, then we're really going to be kind of free. It's going to take a little while, but we're going to get there. Or if I, if I change jobs, and, and when that happens, if, if only we can get around this next corner, then there can be some joy and a sense of happiness, a sense of being alive. But you already hear inherent in that thinking is the trap, Right? Because if we are constantly waiting for something to unfold in the future for us to be alive and to be present, well, then we've fallen into a trap, what I like to refer to as the illusion of conclusion. No, one thing may resolve, but something else will be unresolved. And so sometimes we're held captive. We can't be present because we're constantly saying, not yet, oh, it's coming, not yet, but we're going to be fine once we move, not yet. We're going to be fine, though, once I get a raise, not yet, but we're going to be fine once we work through this problem with the kids' teachers. It's going to be fine. Meanwhile, we miss the holy possibility, the holy possibility of joy right now. 
But it may not be that when you think of your future, you're somehow waiting for something to take place. It may be that you're saying, God, I hope this doesn't take place. Because when I look into my future, I see nothing but the worst possible outcome. And it may be something distant in the future, or it may be something that happens uh, Tuesday with your boss. Do you think to yourself, this is what catastrophizing is. You think to yourself, this worst possible outcome is likely going to happen to me, even though you have no evidence to back it up. And the trouble is, when you play out the scenario in that way, you hold yourself captive to miss all the possibility of being alive and full of joy now because you are certain that I, I don't want to be too joyful now because it could end tomorrow morning. Well, yeah. And we know, we know what the scripture says about it. We, 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 we know cerebrally that what we're doing is self-destructive. We hear James. James says it this way. James says, look, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such town and, and we'll spend a year there doing business, making money. So yet you, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes and Jesus comes on the heels of it and says these words. Jesus, our Lord, offers these words. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will, be, will bring worries of its own. Is it, is it possible that you are somehow struggling to be present with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your neighbor, with your parents, because you're somehow stuck in something that happened then or something that you fear may happen then? And you just can't find a way to live now. So what do we do? I'll suggest this. Richard Rohr talks about how we struggle to do this. All of us do. It's a human struggle. We're either thinking about 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago. We're either thinking about 20 years from now or tomorrow morning. He's come up with kind of a phrase that helps him remember, a kind of prayer. What if we could learn, and, and what I'm about to tell you may change everything. It's just two words. But what if these two words could be so internalized that they become our practice? You know what the two words are? Just this. just this you're at dinner and you've not been to dinner at a restaurant in a long time because it's been very busy and you're you're there at the restaurant with the one who you love and you want to hear about their day you want to hear about who they are and where they are and, and on your table part of the permanent um, table setting is your phone <laughs> and it begins to ding and ping it begins to buzz just this just this what if that became your prayer? To where you put it away, you throw it out the window or something for a little while, and don't let me make you think that I've somehow perfected this because when it comes to this, I am the chief of all sinners. I'm just trying to tell you, you know, preaching is just one hungry beggar telling another hungry beggar where to find food, and I'm telling you that if we could somehow find a way to live this 
just this, how wonderful and freeing it would be. That at dinner, you, instead of worrying about what you're missing on the notification stream, what if you marvel at the unseen life of the server bringing you bread and wonder what is God up to in his or her life? Just this, just this. So you go to watch the kids play their game or perform their drama on stage, but you had a, an altercation in the parking lot with somebody on the way in, and, and here's their big moment. They're up to bat. To their, their, it's their big line, and you keep running this thing in your mind. What if, what if just this? We'll deal with that then, but in this moment of divine just thisness, just this. What if you're on vacation? and it's the last day of vacation, there's no pain like the last day of vacation. You know what I'm saying? And your feet are in the sand, there's water lapping up on your feet, it's just wonderful, but the only thing you're thinking is, I don't want to make that drive home. Because on the drive home, I remember, uh, we didn't do the laundry before we left, there's no food in the fridge, somebody's going to have to go and get that, somebody's going to have to, just this. Tomorrow we'll have enough worries of us. Just this. Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation that you believe to be the will of God. Isn't that wonderful? Wherever you are, be all there. What would your life look like if you determined that this is my prayer just this. Well, what happens when this passes? Well, then now, just this. The story is told about Yogi Berra and um, Hank Aaron. They were playing with the Yankees, catcher for the Yankees, Yogi Berra. And Hank Aaron was playing for the Milwaukee Braves at the time. And Hank Aaron comes up to bat. He's at the plate. And Yogi is doing the thing that Yogi did well. He's trash talking, being witty, making jokes. And so as Hank Aaron comes up to the plate, he's saying, Hank, you're holding your bat wrong. You're holding your bat wrong. Yeah, you really, need to, you really need to turn the bat so that you can read the label. You can't see the label that way. Come on, batter. Come on. And he's talking trash, talking trash. Turn it so where you can read the label. The first pitch down the pike, right out of the park. I mean, clear into the left field bleachers. Hank Aaron walks or runs around the bases, and when he steps on home plate, you know what he says to Yogi? I didn't come to read. <laughs> Just this. Your life, my life, every moment of the day will absolutely be filled with distractions. I mean, you can't stop it. They will ding, they will ping, they will buzz, they will constantly be there. But what if the moment a distraction arises, what if we train ourselves to make this our prayer? Nope. Just this. Just this. I love, I love the story that I heard from um, uh, Jack, um, Jack Vera tells a story about a, about a college uh, professor. Jack Vera tells a story about a college professor who goes to, to speak at a military base. He flies into this city 
And the person who they send to pick him up at the airport is a soldier named Frank. Frank picks him up and they're going through all the things that you go through, getting luggage, and he notices that every couple of minutes Frank is gone and he's helping somebody do something. The first time Frank is helping this older woman because her, well, her suitcase fell open and he's helping her put things back in. And the next time he's holding up two toddlers so they can see Santa Claus. It's December and, and they can't see him from where they are. The next time he's giving directions to somebody who was lost. Finally, he came back, Frank did, to the professor, and the professor said, where'd you learn to do that? He said, do what? He said, to to pay attention and to to be present with everybody who you see. I mean, that's, he said, oh, probably in in battle. He was a Vietnam vet. He said, when I was in Vietnam, it was my job to clear uh, mine fields. He had seen several of his very best friends not make it across the minefield. And he recognized that every time he took a step, it could be his last step. So he told the professor, I have learned to live between steps. Every time I lifted my foot and before I put it back down, There was a whole world available to me. And I suppose I've just tried to keep living that way. What would it look like for you to not be captive to the past or or to the future, but to learn to live between the steps? What does all this mean, beloved? If you and I are to be the beloved community that we're talking about, a place of true safety where everyone can belong and anyone can belong, we have to learn how to truly be present with one another so that just this is our way forward in a distracted world. And why would that be important? Because... This is the entire message of the Bible. Do you know that the Bible itself is crammed with one story after the next of of God attempting to be present with humankind? And there's nothing that you and I can do that more beautifully images the character of God than to learn to truly be present with one another. If we're the body of Christ, we have to learn to do this, to be present with one another. Which brings us back to the story that began this time together. So Martha and Mary are there, and Martha's frustrated, and Jesus offers these words, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Just this. Amen. Let's pray together. Most glorious and loving God, we recognize in this moment that there are days and seasons in which we are so distracted not only by the technology tug that pulls us once every six minutes at least, away. But there is 
Well, there is the tug of our past, the fear of our future. And we recognize that you are calling us to be present, to be a beloved community in which we are present to one another in the most glorious, powerful, uh, strong way. But we also confess this to you, Holy Father, that we cannot be present to one another until we have learned how to be present with you. Until we have learned to be present with you, to somehow recognize that our time with you, just this, is everything We forget the words that you spoke from your precious lips as you said, seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added. We pray this day that you will enable, empower, equip us to live a just thisness with one another and with you so that we are free to fully be present and to truly be the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, we pray. Amen.